the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Lauren Lake. And I'm Aaron Snyder. Today we have three guests joining us to talk about the public-private partnership in Fargo, North Dakota. And with us today we have Terry Williams, who's the program manager overseeing the project for the Corps of Engineers. Joel Paulson, who's the executive director, and John Shockley is an attorney, uh, both with the Diversion Authority. Thanks all for joining us here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to be here, Aaron. Terry, you know, can you just give us a little bit of history on the Fargo Project? Really, the, for our listeners that might not know about the Fargo Project, you know, what's the purpose of it? What problem is it trying to address? Absolutely, I'd love to. So the Fargo-Moorhead Metro Flood Risk Management Project essentially began back in 2008 to uh, address the potential for catastrophic flooding uh, and the damages that that would cause to the entire uh, metropolitan area. You know, the metro area encompasses communities in both North Dakota and Minnesota, including the cities of Fargo and Moorhead. The flood of record happened in the spring of 2009, and that really kind of set the feasibility study into high gear, and that was completed in July of 2011. And the recommended plan was a diversion channel with upstream uh, staging of floodwaters. So that includes uh, basically a dry dam on the upstream and with control structures on the wild rice and red rivers. Once the feasibility study was done, we had a chief's report and record of decision. Uh, in September of 2013, we completed a supplemental environmental assessment that made further improvements to the project. And, and again, this project is going to benefit over 230,000 people that live and work and go to school and go to hospitals in the Fargo-Moorhead metro area. And the goal uh, of the project is to provide 100-year certifiable protection with the capability of flood fighting up to a 500-year flood throughout the Fargo-Moorhead metro area. Great, thank you, Terry. So you talked a bit about the purpose of the project and, and what it is trying to address, but wanted to talk a bit about the de delivery of the project. You know, I've heard that it's being delivered by a term called split delivery. Can you talk about what split delivery actually means? Certainly. So after the, the feasibility study was completed, the sponsors and the, the St. Paul District went further to decide how can we deliver this project faster and um, hopefully at a less dollar amount. So the split delivery uh, concept was born and that's where the sponsors, the diversion authority, implement the diversion channel portion of the project. And the Corps of Engineers designs and implements the southern embankment part of the project to include the large structures and the structure that will allow flows into the diversion channel. And this concept allows simultaneous implementation of the project instead of the Corps doing the diversion channel first and then doing the southern embankment. It drastically reduces the number of contracts necessary and the, the oversight of those contracts and what it takes to put contracts together. And then it also included uh, delivery of the diversion channel using a P3 by the non-federal sponsors, by the diversion authority which um, would further reduce the, the time to design and build the diversion channel and also uh, allow um, innovation uh, into the design and construction of the diversion channel. 
if the Corps were to build, design and build a diversion channel, um, we did have uh, an indicative design on how to do that, but entering into an agreement with P3 developers really brings in a whole nother level of thought and innovation. And so since, since about 2013, we have been using the split delivery uh, method to implement this project. Thanks, Terry. So I've obviously also been a part of this process from, from the get-go and, and part of some of those difficult negotiations that, you know, we had early in the day. But before we get into to some of that, Joel, I was wondering, could you tell us, you know, what makes up the Diversion Authority? And then when looking at the P3 delivery, really, you know, what does that mean for the, the city and the Diversion Authority moving forward? And how do you plan to, to actually make this happen? Absolutely, Aaron. Um, great question. I'll touch on the Diversion Authority first. The Diversion Authority is a joint powers authority made up of multiple political jurisdictions locally. Uh, we have the city of Fargo, the city of Moorhead, the counties of Cass County and Clay County in Minnesota, as well as the Cass County Joint Water Resource District. The Diversion Authority is the entity that uh, provides the policy and the direction for the implementation of the public-private partnership component of the project, which is the channel, as well as in-town levies uh, and flood control projects and additional uh, mitigation uh, necessary for the implementation of the project overall. So it is a unique entity in that it is a multi-state, multi-jurisdictional uh, entity that is uh, really providing the, the controls and the direction for the local non-federal component of the split delivery, as Terry had mentioned earlier. You know, we are moving forward with procurement. Um, we're, we're getting towards the end of the procurement of the P3 developer. And so we feel uh, very confident that we've put together our financial plan to sustain the project long-term as far as our responsibilities are concerned. Once we uh, close on the P3 procurement, we'll begin you know, construction on that very important component of the overall program. So, John, you know, this has been going on for some time, this project, and as a part of a P3 project, how is the Diversion Authority's role different than the traditional delivery of the Corps? You know, how, as a non-federal sponsor, um, how is the Diversion Authority role shifted in a P3 project? So, in the traditional sense, uh, our project has a traditional role for the non-federal sponsors with construction of the southern embankment. And in the traditional role for a non-federal sponsor, your role is really to acquire lands, easements, uh, and work with utility relocates uh, for the core. And the core is really the lead agency when it comes to designing, uh, constructing, and implementing the project with the project being turned over to the non-federal sponsor at the completion of construction. How the split delivery was set up is the, it's really the reverse to a certain extent in that the local non-federal sponsor is actually leading the contracting procurement for the P3 delivery. And so the non-federal sponsor here, the Diversion Authority is leading the development of the technical requirements, leading the development of the project agreement, which 
is very similar to a construction contract that you would see in many, many respects. It's a little bit different in that it includes the financing component. And then the core is providing input into the technical specifications, making sure that it meets with core regulatory requirements along with other, you know, the traditional core requirements of uh, designing the project. And so there, there is a significant shift from the responsibilities that you would see in a typical procurement with the core versus a P3 procurement using a split delivery. Thanks, Sean. And Terry, from the core perspective, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so from the, from the beginning, um, it was very important to define the roles of the Corps of Engineers, that they're not traditional, um, like John said. And so the role of the Corps in this P3 is basically to, we're responsible for NEPA and documenting any changes that might be required under NEPA. And then our, our other role is from the, the technical standpoint where um, we are not reviewing every piece of the diversion channel. We're only looking at the flood risk management components. And so the capacity of the channel, the flood wall components on, on the aqueducts and then the line of protection. And that's, that's the limit of the Corps' involvement in the diversion channel. And, and so in defining our roles, our team has, has really done a good job of coming back to that point. Every time we're involved in reviewing the TRs and maybe helping write some of the TRs, coming back to what we're essentially really uh, responsible for and that the, the rest of, of the components are really the diversion authority's responsibility. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, it's really impressive the, the different roles that the Corps is taking. And, and you mentioned TRs, which is, you know. Technical requirements. Yeah, that's, that's technical the requirements. technical requirements. Yeah. Okay, thanks for clarifying that for us. But, you know, going back to the, the beginning, um, you know, I, I think one of the questions we're going to have, you know, for you, Joel, and John is to really why would a city want to do this or a community want to try to take this new P3 approach? Why is it different? And, and going back, I think starting out, it was, really clear that if we didn't do something different to be more efficient with delivery of this project, this project probably wouldn't happen. You know, part of it is just the, the core traditional delivery process uh, can be so segmented. I think the diversion channel would have been broken into 11 individual contracts versus the P3 approach, which is one contract. So there's a lot of economy of scale and streamlining that can be taken from this approach. But really, you know, beyond just getting it done faster and cheaper, are there other benefits to taking this on this extra role as a local sponsor, you know, why would you want to do something like this? Aaron, I, I, I can take the first stab at responding to that question. When the, the non-federal sponsors were considering pursuing the P3, I think it was a combination of factors. The, the first, as you indicated, was the speed of delivery. With a flood control project, each year that goes by without full and complete flood protection, is very costly to a community. As the engineers will tell you, it's only a matter of time before you'll have that flood of record or that 100-year flood or even the 500-year flood. And so every year that goes by uh, can potentially be a costly year for the non-federal sponsor. So speed of delivery is a critical component. I think one of the other items 
or two of the other items that were very critical to our thought process in pursuing a P3 were, were the overall cost of the project. Splitting a, a large project like the, this out into multiple contracts not only has delay, delay in timing and of implementation of the project, it can also add to the cost of administrating all of those contracts. Plus, over time, the longer, the longer construction stretches out, you have cost inflation. And so having certainty around cost uh, on the project using P3 delivery was a critical component. And that's really two parts. It's first a capital component of the cost that's associated with the project. And the second component is the maintenance uh, of the project. And really as a community knowing what the true capital cost would be once the contract is awarded along with the uh, yearly operational and maintenance costs was really important to the community. And then finally, the third was having a higher level of control over the procurement and the process that would normally be implemented, that would normally be part of a, a project that we would undertake locally uh, with something important to the local entities that we would have control over how the project was implemented and how quickly it would be delivered. Aaron, I'll also add there's a number of policy uh, ramifications with the implementation of a public-private partnership and long-term. Diversion authority really sees a lot of benefit in the risk transfer over to a private entity over the course of the next 36 years as we select and work with a developer long-term. We're really transferring the risk of operation and maintenance over to a private entity. And there's some pretty significant benefits there in that we can capture the long-term operation and maintenance costs up front, um, and we know what they are, and we can work them into a long-term financing plan. That benefit is pretty significant. I think uh, members of our P3 team generally say this is an operation and maintenance agreement with a, with a little bit of construction up front. And I think, you know, that's true in the grand scheme of the total cost long-term for the infrastructure that we're dealing with. And so the ability to get clarity in that long-term cost and be able to have the certainty of being able to fund it and finance it long-term uh, without any major surprises is certainly a, a huge benefit to the diversion authority and, uh, and one that we've really uh, embraced with the P3 contracting mechanism. Great, thank you, John and Joel. And so obviously you, you talked about some of the, the great benefits to this approach, but it is something new and particularly new to the core. And so I know that there have been some challenges and bumps along the way. So starting with you, Joel and John, what are some of the challenges you've faced with taking this approach? And then uh, we'll ask Terry from the CORE's perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely, Lauren. So I think because it's a new contracting mechanism for a project such as this, you start to bump up against maybe some of the, I wanna say status quo, the traditional methods of implementing a project of this magnitude. Um, that are somewhat challenged when you start talking about a public-private partnership arrangement. One of those, I think, is just the, the regulatory mechanisms that are in place, allowing a, a private entity to 
innovate in their design around that regulatory environment. We've been challenged uh, with you know, providing information up front that we don't have in what that particular design might look like in getting the, uh, the permits and the, the authorities to move forward. Generally, I, I think through some pretty lengthy conversations and discussions, um, all entities have been able to find a way to uh, move forward on those fronts. It certainly has been challenging because under a traditional project, you would have all the designs complete, submit those for permits, and, uh, and the regulatory authorities would be able to you know, see exactly what this project is going to look like. Under the public-private partnership arrangement, we aren't going to see those final design documents until, you know, some cases well into construction. So the ability to get the permits to construct without having the final design documents obviously is a conundrum for, uh, you know, certain regulatory entities. So that has been a challenge, but one that I think as people get more comfortable with the public-private partnership and maybe the split delivery concept, there's answers and solutions to implement into that process that, you know, that would make that easier in the future. But we're certainly breaking some ground on that front. Well, I would echo what Joel said about the regulatory approach with respect to flood control projects and P3. The two other important takeaways that I've seen from an experience during the project, first and foremost, is the market for P3 transactions in flood control is brand new. And we really had to plow new ground with the, mark, the P3 market in respect to allocation of liability. I think everybody has in their memory from both the core perspective and the private sector what happened in New Orleans and the subsequent litigation that arose out of New Orleans. And so out properly allocating the liability between the owner under the P3 contract and the P3 uh, developer uh, has been a, a challenge. I think that we've come up with appropriate solutions. I also think that based upon our experience, future flood control projects will be much easier for the market to price that in and to understand that liability. In the core world, in the traditional design bid build, there's a whole statutory regime already set up uh, upon how you apply liability if there's a failure in a flood control device. In the P3 world, we're in a brand new territory. Uh, but I think we've, we've come to a good point in properly allocating that liability and responsibility for the development of the project between the non-federal sponsor and the P3 developer. Uh, the second kind of key takeaway from my experiences with the project has been appreciating more of the interjurisdictional issues uh, associated with a large project. Uh, our project touches upon multiple local jurisdictions, multiple state jurisdictions, and federal jurisdictions. And having that overlapping agencies and jurisdictions that have anywhere from zoning control to regulatory control navigating that process has been challenging. And I think that one of the key takeaways and if there was an interest at the federal level in you know, promoting more P3s would be clarity around who has zoning priority, who has regulatory priority, 
because otherwise the local jurisdiction trying to navigate through all of the different complex regulatory regimes, both a, you know, at a local level, at a state level, and a federal level, is particularly challenging because sometimes each entity, each jurisdiction has different regulatory requirements. So not only do you have the challenges that Joel spoke about, just inherent in P3 versus how do you comply with the permits, we have challenges in different permitting conditions within different jurisdictions that may not always have the same result. And how do you, which one takes precedent over another? Great, thank you, John and Joel. And so from Terry, from a core of engineers perspective, do you have anything else to add regarding these challenges? Yeah, certainly. So being involved in, in a P3 has really been a culture shift, I think, for how the core does business where typically we design and construct elements with an eye towards O&M and keeping, you know, a project um, that's more easily operated and maintained by the sponsors or you're going to have a failed project. Like I said before, concentrating, focusing our efforts on the inherent flood risk management features of the, the diversion channel and keeping open to the idea of innovation as well. Um, because we all want to get this project done as soon as possible and hopefully um, as efficient as possible as well. Uh, another challenge for us has been, you know, we have Corps of Engineers regs and TMs and ERs and guidance to follow when doing flood risk management projects. Uh, which of those apply to the diversion channel, selecting which ones do? And then if a developer proposes using different guidance or regulations or ways to build something that we have a, a way to be able to, to accept the deviations from core guidance. So we have that process in place and well, as well in case that happens. And then another challenge has been, uh, as John and Paul alluded to, the regulatory aspects of this and all of the interactions we've had with natural resource agencies on this project since 2008 and working through those and still allowing innovation on the, on the P3 diversion channel. Those are, those are the primary challenges I've seen, and I, I think we've, we've all met the challenge in that uh, the final RFP was, was issued on Friday, so huge accomplishment. Yeah, thanks, Terry. And I think, you know, overcoming the status quo is definitely a big challenge. And, you know, anytime you do something new, it's like, we used to do it this way, and how do you do it? So you're developing everything from scratch. It also might be worth pointing out that this project is something that is going, is non-federally owned, operated, and maintained. So being able to have that certainty for operation and maintenance long-term is, is really a huge benefit. And I think, Joel, you talked about the risk transfer and traditional delivery. Uh, the risk is kind of cost-shared, uh, where, you know, both parties have some of those risks. In, in this case, the, the federal government transferred it to the non-federal entity and the diversion authority, and the diversion authority is going to turn around and transfer that risk again to the private sector um, to help in this delivery. So I, I think that that's really an, an innovative approach, and it's a good way to change the equation um, and to, to help to reduce some of the costs long-term, both the O&M costs that are always the responsibility of non-federal sponsors, but it also seems like it's, it's going to help on the decreasing the cost and delivery side, too. So it seems like a good win-win for us. 
you know, that kind of makes me wonder. I think the federal share on this project is also capped, so there's a federal contribution is another way that the risk to the federal government's been transferred to the locals. So locals have that risk. John, can you tell us how the local sponsors plan to pay for, for this project? Probably unique to flood control, we have a sales, sales and use tax taxes that were approved overwhelmingly by the voters of Cap County and Fargo. And so we have a total of 1.75 cents uh, going to the diversion project. That is funding a number of debt instruments that include a US EPA WIFIA loan, uh, some SRF loans, some traditional bond debt issuances. And then we're also, uh, through the P3 delivery, during the construction, we pay a series of milestone payments that probably account for 50 to 60% of the total cost of the overall channel construction. And the remainder of the capital cost is paid for through 30 years of availability payments. And those avail that stream of availability payments is what helps the developer repay it, pay their contribution to the project. It also allows the authority to have the ability to assure that the project is properly constructed and operated because if they're not meeting the criteria set forth in the uh, project agreement, they won't be able to get their annual availability payment. Also, the annual availability payment has the added benefit of incentivizing the contractor to complete the project on time. We've all been part of projects in which the contractor is late um, and we have arguments regarding liquidated damages or contract variations, change orders, those sorts of issues. In the P3 world, the availability payment stream doesn't start till the project reaches substantial completion. Uh, and as a result, there's an incentive upon the developer to reach substantial completion on time. Otherwise, they risk not having that stream of availability payments, which more likely than not, they've pledged to repay their private loans or private bond issuance. And so the whole role of P3 and financing, I think, helps to deliver a project on time and it assures assure quality compliance through the P3 itself. The other nice part is in a traditional uh, contract, you would have one, maybe two-year construction warranty uh, depending upon how your contract documents are drafted, whereas with a P3 project, Essentially, you have a 30-year warranty period during which the P3 contractor is operating the infrastructure. And so if there is a failure of some type during that 30-year operation period, the P3 contractor is responsible for that. The other component of the local share here is uh, being funded by the state of North Dakota through grant distributions from the state of North Dakota, totaling uh, currently 750 million at, uh, of intent, uh, and that's likely to go up to right around 850 to 870 million. It's a combination of both local funding, which makes up about 40, total of 40% of the project is being paid for locally. About 30% is being paid for at the state level, and about 30% being paid for by the, at the federal level which I think is a real model for delivering infrastructure around the nation. From a federal taxpayer standpoint, you know, the federal government is looking for certainty and also looking to make sure that projects actually get built and completed. And so this is a very nice model for implementing projects in the future. 
and assuring that the project is completed in a timely manner and the federal taxpayers are getting that benefit of having certainty of what their investment is while also having the certainty of having the project completed. Thanks, John. One thing, you know, you're talking about the, the cost of this, I think going into it, it was estimated that this P3 delivery would save around $400 million compared to traditional delivery. I guess, Terry and Joel, I'm curious, uh, do you think that we will actually realize those savings or do you have any indications yet to, to show that this, this model will work? Yeah, absolutely, Aaron. Uh, so, you know, we've looked at this in multiple different ways. And, you know, as far as the the cost savings uh, are concerned for the, you know, for the community and, and for the diversion authority overall, one of the huge benefits to implementing this through a P3 is to wrap up a large amount of the infrastructure into one bid package. The diversion channel component of the project and the P3 responsibility will be about a billion dollars worth of infrastructure. And by having one entity or one joint venture responsible for the design and construction and the O&M uh, long-term of, of that amount of infrastructure uh, related to the, the overall program really provides an economic scale level of savings not only that, as John had mentioned, it provides certainty in the completion of that of those components in a timely fashion. You know, seeing multiple estimates over the years, if, if we were going to package um, smaller components of the diversion channel into uh, individual design bid build contracts, uh, you know, it, it may take us two to three times as long to implement those, um, as well as a bunch of additional administrative and engineering work to manage each one of those individual packages and uh, and see those through uh, to completion. So I, I think 400 million may even be on the low side of what we're potentially seeing as far as savings. And I, I think, you know, to that end, if we were to deliver this over, a, you know, a 10 to 20 year period of smaller contracts utilizing design bid build, it may not be financially feasible. The P3 mechanism allows us to get this done much quicker. Uh, we've already defined a financial plan that contemplates the total overall cost, and that's feasible. I think this project would um, ultimately be a very challenging one to complete if we did not um, utilize the split delivery P3 uh, mechanism for delivery. Great, thank you. And so, you know, we, we've talked about how this project has been going on for, for a number of years, and so I know that the P3 procurement process has also been going on for, for some time. And, and so I wanted to talk to you, John, particularly about this process and particularly what the schedule is moving forward and, and when do you expect construction to be completed uh, for the project? So, uh, great question. So uh, just where we're at today, uh, as has been in previously indicated, the final RFP went out on January 15th on Friday of last week. Uh, we anticipate receiving the technical proposals, maybe for the audience a little bit of uh, explanation. In, in the P3 contracting world, we receive both what is referred to as a technical proposal and a financial proposal. And as part of the technical proposal, since there are no traditional plans and specs, the teams are putting together 
what they're proposing as the technical solution for the project, which will likely include cross-sectional uh, designs, uh, flows through aqueducts, what bridges look like, all of the things that you would normally expect to complete a project. And those will come in on February 26th. We're expecting financial proposals to come in on March 26th of uh, 2021. Uh, and that's really goes, uh, the financial proposals are a little bit different than your traditional bid opening where you just have raw numbers or quantity estimates. You'll actually receive what the total milestone payments are and then what the annual availability payment is. And so it's a slightly different process, um, but that forms your financial proposal. Uh, and then on April 22nd of this year, we anticipate awarding the contract to the preferred proposer. Then there'll be what is referred to as a commercial close. Commercial close is where you formally close on the, the project agreement. Uh, that should occur within 60 days of the selection of the preferred proposer. And then we have financial uh, close, which will occur a little bit after commercial close. And the reason that financial close occurs after commercial close is that the developer is bringing financing to the table to actually fund the construction of the project. And so the non-federal sponsor is not making payments until there's actual infrastructure in the ground through milestone payments. So that is another advantage of P3 in that the developer brings the temporary construction financing to the table. And so it takes some time for them to get all of their financing uh, finalized and formally closed on the financial proposal. And that cannot occur any later than 180 days after their financial proposal is due, which was March 26th. And so we're currently estimating right around the September 1st uh, financial close date that could occur sooner. Uh, we're expecting that it probably will, but for planning purposes, we're assuming September 1st. Right around that same time period, we would be issuing the notice to proceed uh, at which the teams can turn. I would anticipate that they would already be underway doing their design work, but they could actually put a shovel in the ground and start construction. The total construction build time of this project is quite significant. Our estimated uh, substantial completion date is October of 2027. So it's quite a lengthy build period uh, with the first year flood protection being in 2028. The Red River Valley's uh, flood challenges are mostly in the spring, uh, very limited uh, challenges for flooding during the summer. And so the flood year protection is important uh, and that would be for flood year 2028. In the P3 world, you don't precisely know what the means and methods of the construction will be that one team could propose a much more aggressive uh, construction schedule uh, given the uh, structure of P3 uh, and the cost of money, a more aggressive uh, construction schedule may result in a better financial proposal because of the time value of money. But the project agreement contains mandatory dates of the flood protection year and the estimated substantial completion. So that's the longest the construction could take but we'll see, we'll see what the teams bring as part of their technical and financial proposals to the table. Thanks, John. Well, we're, we're looking forward to you getting to that uh, financial close here this fall and seeing some dirt turn. 
you know, I just have, you know, really one last question for you, Joel and John. Um, so Joel first, you know, we want to encourage other projects to apply for our P3 pilot program with the Corps. What would you want to tell other communities about the, the P3 approach and, and why they should do it? Absolutely. Um, I think it's the best decision that the Diversion Authority has ever made in regards to this program and implementing the permanent reliable flood protection that we so need. We're getting the project for the least amount of cost possible. Uh, we're transferring a significant amount of risk off of our shoulders onto the, the private developer. We've also found an immense amount of efficiencies and cost savings in working with the Corps, uh, who's really been a great federal partner uh, in implementing this project and providing the, the resources necessary. So I think we've got a great team between our, our core partners and our local engineers, attorneys, financiers that have really all come together to kind of tackle this, this big project and, and find different unique ways of implementing that really have never been thought of before. At the end of the day, everybody has agreed that this is the right thing to do and um, the benefits of the split delivery P3 arrangement are just so impactful to our community and our ability to implement this project. We are certainly looking for ways to document all of the cost savings and all of the benefits of the P3, be able to provide that to other communities for their benefit as they may be considering this sort of uh, contracting arrangement. So I, I think it really is you know, revolutionizing the way that um, these sorts of projects are implemented. It's an exciting new day, I think, for flood, flood control and flood protection infrastructure uh, throughout the entire nation. You know, I, I think the private market is excited about these sorts of projects and being able to bring what they can to benefit this market. It really is pretty exciting, Aaron. You know, we look forward to a number of additional things that we're going to uncover as we get into construction on this project as well. So from my perspective, I, I, I have three items why a local sponsor would like to use the P3 procurement process. First is uh, transparency. As compared to a traditional design bid build process, uh, the public sector knows what the capital cost will be when they enter into the contract, and they also understand the operations and maintenance costs at the time they sign the contract, which is different than the traditional design bid build where the public sector is not fully aware of the operations costs. Uh, the second item is innovation. Being a non-technical person, sometimes it's easier for me to peer over the fence and watch the, the technical folks at work. But the P3 process uh, really focuses the teams to work with their construct, the engineers to work with their construction teams to develop a more innovative process to deliver the project. And it may not be innovation in the traditional sense that we think of, it'll be a, you know, an unknown or brand new type of a structure, it might be in the way that the project is delivered. It might There might be more efficiency in having the contractor and the engineer actually talk through how they're going to dig the channel or when they're going to put the bridges in or how they're going to put the aqueducts uh, in 
at, at a specific time. Uh, and the final item is delivery. You can achieve a faster delivery of the project uh, than you would use in traditional design bid build. Given the magnitude of most flood control projects, most flood control projects are not small investments. Uh, they're usually very large. Uh, and given the challenges of uh, increased flooding and increased rainfall, uh, increased uh, weather patterns, they're typically very large projects. And as we've talked about previously, delivering those large projects in multiple contracts over potentially decades doesn't necessarily benefit the public sector because you can have a full program moving very rapidly but still not provide flood protection for your community. So having that ability to del deliver the project quickly and on time has an intrinsic value that I think it's probably a little more difficult uh, to measure from a pure financial standpoint because what is, what is the value of having a project completed one year ahead of time for a community? If there's not flooding that following year, that's hard to predict, but if you have the 100-year event or the 500-year event, that flood protection becomes invaluable at that point. And so those are really the three items that I focus on, uh, the transparency, the innovation, and the delivery. Great. Thank you, John. And so, you know, I wanted to turn it over to you, Terry, and, and talk about what lessons you have learned from working on this project. And, and what would you tell other districts who might be considering uh, working with their sponsors uh, to use this approach? Well, thank you. I, the St. Paul District is very proud and excited to have been a part of this first P3 for the Corps of Engineers. We've been able to contribute to the process from a technical standpoint, but just as important is we've been able to learn a lot. The sponsors have put together a team of international experts in P3s and determining risks and insurance and financing. And so that whole process has been very exciting to learn more about from the experts. Uh, any other district that could be involved in a P3 should take it as being a great opportunity to learn how to innovate, how to do projects differently, and how to open your mind to getting, or different methods to get projects in place quicker. Well, I really want to thank you all for joining us today. You know, it's, it, this is a really exciting project and an exciting P3 program. Obviously, there's been lots of work that's gone into it over the years. Uh, for our listeners, to get more information about the CORE's P3 pilot program, you can just Google CORE P3, and you should be able to find our website. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. <laughs>